my friend, you have found the Functioning Hot Mess Podcast. I'm your host, Tanya Murray, life coach and author. I started this show to share life lessons and hot mess moments along with a few shenanigans to let you know you're not alone in this roller coaster of life. Each week, you'll get a solo episode or an interview to help you improve your self-confidence, create healthy relationships, or become a better parent. If you love what you hear, hit subscribe and I'll automatically show up in your downloads each and every week. All right, let's get on with the show. I am really excited to be bringing you this conversation I had with Amy K. Watson. She is a leadership coach with Career Leadership Alignment, and she partners with professionals, academics, and executives who recognize that they've been getting in their own way and sabotaging their own effectiveness. Now, even if you're not in a leadership position in maybe a career path, you are a leader in some area of your life, whether you're being a leader in your home or with the volunteer group that you're with or a sports team that you're coaching. I think sometimes we get wrapped up in the term leader from like a career perspective. And even though we're going to be focusing on that today, I really want you to recognize that there's going to be nuggets of wisdom in here for you, regardless of what your career path is. So definitely tune into this, whether you consider yourself in a leadership role or not, there's going to be good information. One of the things I absolutely loved in here is when Amy said, give yourself credit, not just blame. And I thought, yes. We all need to give ourselves more credit. We are so hypercritical on every little thing, and yet we do amazing stuff all day, every day. And on that note, let's jump into this conversation with Amy K. Watson. All right, Amy, welcome so much to the Functioning Hot Mess podcast. I am so glad that you're here and that you're willing to take the time to visit with us and share some of your awesome information. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for having me, Tanya. Absolutely. So help our listeners know a little bit about who you are. Yeah, so I am a leadership coach. I work with folks who are typically in kind of those middle tiers of an organization. So they might be supervisors or managers or directors. I sometimes will work with vice presidents, but uh, typically that's because I've been working with folks for a few years and they've been promoted and that's the level that they've attained. Um, And we work a lot on issues around confidence, around making better decisions, Uh, around making a better impression. So as folks are able to get more clarity around that, um, as they communicate more effectively, then they are able to uh, be promoted and very often um, wind up making more money. And uh, so, yeah, so I work with folks so that they can be more effective and better leaders, better managers. So you mentioned um, confidence in there and how you work with them with their confidence. So it's interesting to me because I feel like there's a lot of maybe a stereotype around leadership where we assume that they're already confident. And is that the case? (laughs) 
You know, it's so interesting to me. I have also held that same stereotype. And part of the reason that I went into this work is because I started learning that no, confidence does not always come in the package. In fact, it's probably more likely that there's some imposter syndrome. Uh, There's some sense of I'm just winging this. I'm making it up as I go along. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite, I'm a little bit of a geek. And one of my favorite episodes of Star Trek Next Generation is the one where Beverly Crusher is able to read Captain Picard's mind a little bit. And they're, they're on a planet and they're trying to figure out what to do. And she says, okay, which way do we go? And he looks around and he says, this way. And she says, you don't know. You're just saying that. <laughs> and I think that very often that is the case with leaders. We're just, we're doing what seems right at the time, but we know that there's a chance that we could be totally wrong. And we're just hoping. <laughs> we're really yeah. just hoping that it works out. Yeah, I can relate to that so much. I feel... I feel like I have that a lot just within my role as a manager and a leader with my day job. And then even with my podcast, like it's almost like everywhere you turn, it's like, I have no idea. I'm just picking one and winging it and hoping it goes the right direction. (laughs) And that sounds like great awareness to have. Yeah. So what kind of um, tips or tricks or confidence ideas or do you share with them to help build their confidence in that role? Well, whenever somebody is trying to build any kind of skill, we always look at how you built that skill in the past. And so when I have clients who are struggling with their confidence, I will just direct their attention to something that is in their life where they do feel confident, but they didn't used to. And Mm -hmm. we just kind of break it down and we look at how did that confidence come to be? And usually what folks will discover is that early on, they maybe had a lot of excitement, but they didn't have a whole lot of knowledge. And then they got started, they started building that knowledge And maybe ran into some roadblocks and had to get some more information, get some advice or um, get some support from somebody. And then they kept working at it and it got a little bit easier and it got a little bit harder and they ran into some challenges and they had to make a commitment to seeing it through and continuing to build those skills until they got to a point where it got easier and then easier and easier. And then they started to become known as the expert. And now they feel totally confident about it. But we have a tendency to forget that we we travel this journey. And it's not always easy as we're building that confidence. Yeah, you're so right. And you say that so beautifully. It It really sums up that whole journey. And Honestly, I'm as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about how that has applied in my own career and also my personal life and becoming a mom and every step. I think that probably would cross over to all different areas of life. Mm-hmm. I would love to hear an example if you've got one coming to mind. 
Yeah. Well, for me, um, when I first started my career, I run a child advocacy center and I knew nothing about the field of child safety and um, law enforcement, child protective services. I knew nothing. And honestly, sometimes I'm wondering how I got hired for that job, but I did. Mm -hmm. And I remember um, I walked in as the director and I had a staff member um, who'd been there for a little while and she was watching uh, some of the forensic interviews. And I watched her, you know, they would take a break and see if they missed anything. And she had the best information for them. And I was, I remember feeling actually really disheartened at first because mm. I thought I'm never going to get this. Like my brain doesn't mm. think that way. I'm never going to, I'm never going to be there. And what am I doing here? Why am I in this role? This was a mistake, but I, I didn't leave the role. I just, I, and I didn't really even set out to learn and, and practice that technique. But over time, I mean, I've been there 14 years now and over time and participation and attending trainings. And now I'm actually a trainer for our state in forensic interviewing. So that definitely, and I feel very confident in the content that I have the opportunity to teach new, new interviewers. So that for me was like, that's my experience. I would go back to based on, you know, what you just said about having people go back to a time, that's the one I would go to. Yeah. And what I love about the story that you just shared is that when you went back to the beginning of the story, one one of the first things that you did was you started comparing yourself to somebody who had a lot of experience. Mm -hmm. And that's when you found yourself uh, wanting. You, you, made that comparison and decided that you weren't going to be as good as her. And that's what we do so much of the time is we look around us and we see other people who are killing it. They are really, um, they're hitting their high notes. They are doing these wonderful things and we admire what they're doing and we're comparing them to ourselves and we're finding ourselves wanting. And I'm sure that you've heard the phrase uh, or the saying, don't compare your insides to somebody else's outsides. We don't know what's happening behind the scenes for them, what they had to do in order to get to that place where they are so successful. What we know best are our own insecurities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so it's so easy to do that because we see we don't want the struggle and we don't want, you know, even if we see someone in the middle of their struggle, we don't want their struggle. But then when we see them, when they've moved past that and they're past that into that growth space, but that's what we want. <laughs> that's what right. I want. That's what I want to emulate, but I don't want all the crap that happened before that. <laughs> of course not. Yeah. Nobody wants that. <laughs> right. Right. So when you are working with clients and you're helping them with their leadership, what what stops them from moving forward? Is that do they come to you because they've kind of hit a plateau or how does that work? You know, so much of the time when folks are stuck, they they can be stuck for any number of things. Uh 
they they may feel like they have run out of things at work that they're interested in anymore. And so they're they're wanting something different. Or they might feel like it's gotten so difficult, so challenging at work that they are finding themselves fantasizing about being someplace else. And what could that be like? Or they may be in one of those situations where, um, like, for instance, I had one client who came to me that had gotten a job. It was a good job. She was really excited about it. It was going to give her a chance to do everything that she wanted to do. And yet, after she started the job, they they kind of greeted her and said, okay, so we know that you were going to do this job A, but we're actually going to have you do job B. And it was the same skill set. So for the company, it made tons of sense. But for her, she was incredibly disappointed because it was no longer in the field of expertise that she felt comfortable in. So, uh, so she then came to me just full of disappointment and anger and was having a hard time getting past this sort of switcheroo that she felt like they had pulled. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in, in her case, we needed first to establish whether or not the company had negative intent behind what they had done with her. And, um, and she realized as, as she was able to kind of step back from it, in spite of all the anger that was spontaneously coming up, she had to acknowledge that really probably everybody involved there was doing the best they could given the circumstances. And she just kind of got caught in the middle. And uh, so she had to really practice assuming positive intent so that she wouldn't fall down that rabbit hole of blame. Um, mm-hmm. And then she had to identify some ways that she could benefit from the job while she was there. So things like expanding her network, uh, learning a new industry, learning even new software. So when she did start job hunting again, she had those extra bullet points on her resume that helped her to get to where she did want to go. And her next role was right in the middle of her zone of passion and um and love, but she wound up feeling really grateful for the time that she spent with that company, even though it didn't go the way that she had hoped it was going to go originally. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's really an important part because a lot of times something like that, we would take very personal and we Mm -hmm. would start questioning, is it, you know, what was it about me that made them put me in this different role or, you know, what's wrong with me is kind of how we take change like that um, Mm -hmm. and start personalizing it and internalizing it. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll either, we'll either do that or we'll assume that those other people, the ones who made the decisions are either stupid or evil uh, or for some reason they are just devoting themselves to making our own lives harder. (laughs) <laughs> as if anybody on the yes. planet has that much energy to devote to somebody else. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, that's funny. I love that. It's so true. It's so true. Yeah, and our brains work like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I love it because I've heard people say, 
um, comments like, you know, they don't care about you. And, and I don't mm-hmm. mean that in like a, like you don't matter way. I mean it in a, we primarily individuals, we're really kind of self-absorbed. We're dealing with what's affecting us right now, what the best decision is. And the last person on my mind is, you know, the one who's over there stewing about thinking that I'm trying to make their life miserable or something. And it's just kind of interesting to take on that different perspective to recognize that they're probably not dwelling on you. Right. Yeah, that's, that's both. um, It can be an encouragement, but it can also be a little bit of a slap in the face that, yeah, really, you're not the center of the universe. Mm -hmm. You know, it feels like you are. Yeah. So one of the things that came up for me as you were sharing her story is, um, you know, you said that you needed to identify if they had a negative intent. How, how would someone go about identifying that? Is it just awareness? What, what does that look like? I think in, it's not so much about identifying whether or not, but more recognizing that we have a tendency to assume negative intent when it's not likely to be there. Uh, so mm-hmm. with with time, with perspective, then we're able to kind of zoom out and recognize that, oh yeah, probably they were just doing the best they could. Uh, but in the moment, it feels like negative intent. And so what we have to do is to recognize that probably it's not negative intent. Uh, now, sometimes there are situations where maybe somebody really does have some kind of negative intent. And the way I have learned that I really need to look at that person is not they're evil and must be stopped and it's up to me to stop them, which is kind of the the first gut place to go. Um, yeah, I go there. <laughs> I feel like you're talking to me right now. <laughs> the the place that I really try to get to is that they believe that this is what they have to do in order to survive. It mm-hmm. is what makes sense to them from a self-preservation standpoint. And mm-hmm. when we're coming from a fear that we're going to lose in such a way that it actually threatens our survival, then a lot of, um, a lot of behavior that has negative, um, negative impact, negative consequences suddenly starts to look like that's worth doing because our survival is at stake. Yeah. So if I can just keep in mind, you know, within myself, that they're probably coming from some some measure of that. That's I find that helpful. Uh, it's difficult when I'm when I'm coaching with somebody. It's it, if they're not ready to go there, then it's not easy to help get them there. And just telling folks, hey, you know, people do what makes sense to them. Sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. And if you're not ready to right. accept it, yeah, you're not ready. Right. That makes sense. And to me, that's one of the most important things about actually working with a coach because, you know, usually we turn to our friends or colleagues or someone to, and we end up on this complain Mm. train, I guess, Mm -hmm. where we're complaining about that individual. And 
I, I feel like for myself, I'm speaking personally here. When I, when I do that, there's no short of no shortage of complaints. I know exactly who to go to who will validate my complaints and cheer me on and say I'm right. And what ends up happening is I, I kind of solidify the negative intent, even if it wasn't there. Like I create so much drama and whirlwind around that situation that it becomes true to me. And then it's harder to step out and see, okay, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they didn't really have a negative intent. And it's mainly because I've spent my time complaining instead of, you know, going to a coach who can help me walk through those steps like you've just been identifying. Yeah. Yeah. It's so valuable to have somebody who doesn't have like that emotional interest in how you come out. So one of the things that a a coach can do is that they can push you in ways that others won't or can't um, because Mm -hmm. they don't have that emotional attachment to your outcomes. Um, It's not a problematic relationship. So they can see you and they can reflect you back to yourself in ways that others can't because they might be afraid of offending you or because they do have that vested interest in your connection, your bond. And so they they want to affirm that, yeah, your way of seeing things is the way that they see things. Right. And I think that, um, like you said, with the mindset, by working with a coach, you're basically saying... I I need that from you. I want that non-partial, non-biased opinion or perspective to be able mm-hmm. to bounce ideas off of. And, you know, if I wanted just someone else to validate me, I can get that for free somewhere else. And I won't get oh. I won't get the tools and I won't I won't necessarily find the growth that I need to go along with that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. One of my favorite uh, metaphors for coaching is really, um, I mean, I'm not into athletics at all, so I'm just going to own that up front. But <laughs> I love the metaphor of the boxing coach who is not in the ring with you, but cares about you, cares about whether or not you get hurt and, and wants you to win. And they can see what's going on with your opponent. They can see even when you are battered and bloody and all beaten up so that your eyes are swollen shut, they can see what your opponent is doing, where your opponent's strengths and weaknesses are, and what you are doing that is leaving you open to those punches Mm. um, and what you can do to defeat that opponent. So uh, what a coach does is they can see you from outside of yourself. They can give you some of that objective feedback and help you find other sources of more objective feedback so that you can see what your opportunities actually are. And you can see where you've been getting in your own way, where you've been sabotaging yourself. Yeah, I love that. I love that because we, we, we're we too close to the issue for for ourselves a lot of times and to have that additional perspective mm-hmm. that can see it from additional or from a you know more of a birds eye view is so helpful. Mm-hmm. So yeah. what are some ways that you see people sabotaging themselves? 
Yeah. Um, so I've got uh, one of my clients that I worked with earlier in the years coming to mind. Um, she was dealing with somebody at work who was actually her boss. And um, I'm, I, I'll call her Sadie. That's not her name. But um, it was a situation where at the beginning, she was telling me, okay, I just need to work on my communication skills and my executive presence uh, because that's what my boss tells me that I need to work on and I'm going to do that. And as she was telling me all of the circumstances that led to her making the decision I, I was hearing this story and I thought, oh, wow, her boss really sounds very sexist. I wonder mm-hmm. if she even can see that herself. And it didn't sound like it from the way she was describing the situation. So I just mm-hmm. kind of kept my own counsel. But then over the next several weeks, it seemed to dawn on her that something was going on that was a lot more powerful than just her not having the skill set that she needed Mm -hmm. Um, because her boss was telling her that she was incompetent and, and he actually even demoted her even while she was getting feedback from other people that was very positive and very grateful for what she was doing and the way that she was doing it. And she was getting really confused. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, over time, she started to perceive this sexism and the kind of old boys club that seemed to be, so the word conspiring comes up. (laughs) Uh, And I don't mean that in the sense of like a conspiracy theory, but more just in the sense that, yeah, there, there were these two guys on the team that were both in leadership positions and they both seemed like they didn't like her. And both of them had the power to make sure that she didn't get to advance or to move in new directions. Uh, They got to dictate what her opportunities were. And, uh, and so she was, she was starting to finally perceive that there could be something going on here. And so she just, she finally acknowledged the reality that she would never be recognized by these men for, for the gifts that she did have for what she was capable of doing. Uh, She started gravitating more towards the people who could see her value she documented everything. And this was one of the things that I I loved most about what she was doing, because when I say that she documented it, I'm not talking about journaling about how terrible everybody was to her, Mm -hmm. uh, which is the kind of thing that most of us are pretty capable of doing. Right. But she actually just wrote down every time she had a conversation with either one of those guys, she would just write down what everybody said and with the date, and with any decisions that were made. And she just kept all of this. And she kept documenting for months, and eventually was in a situation where she found that, okay, this is the time. And she turned everything over to human resources, to legal. They did have a big investigation. She was transferred to a different team. They granted her executive coaching so that even beyond the leadership coaching that I was offering her, she could have 
kind of uh, an advocate in the organization who could help her to get some real feedback and get a, a real sense for what's actually going on because she was in stuck in one of those kind of gaslighting situations. You know, I love, yeah, I love, I love that because, well, the story is really awful, (laughs) but what I love about it, yes, but what I loved about that is so many times we feel stuck or that we have to put up with that, or, you know, maybe we don't document and sometimes it feels like even if I turn this in, nothing's going to happen or nobody's going to do anything. And what a, what a great example of what can happen. Yeah. And I, I love even that you highlighted that the nerves that can come up around turning in that documentation, because I remember when she did that, like the very next week, she was saying, gosh, they haven't done anything. They haven't said anything to me. She had this very understandable, but still it was a fantasy that as soon as she turned in that documentation, people were going to jump up from their desks and gasp and go running down the hallway to slap him in handcuffs and escort him from the building. Mm-hmm. And corporate just doesn't work like that. So it takes weeks, it takes months sometimes for them to do the kind of investigation that they know that they have to do. And sometimes even the decisions are not exactly what you would hope that they would be, but at least we would hope an improvement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely a brave step for her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was tough. So what are some other examples of things that kind of come up for people in leadership roles? Um, You know, sometimes it feels daunting almost. It's like, oh, Mm -hmm. one more thing. Have you noticed (laughs) other themes that kind of come up? Yeah. So I, before we uh, got started, we were chatting just a little bit about, um, these situations that come up where there's like one person and it seems like there's always on every team, there's one person that for whatever reason, they just seem to resist everything that you do. Uh, I've worked with several managers, supervisors, and leaders who have had this challenge. And a lot of times what comes out is that for one thing, we expect so much that other people are going to be just like us. So uh, a client that comes to my mind is uh, a woman who is very driven and she struggled to manage people who were more sensitive or social. Uh, So one of the things that I'll work with folks on is when you are having that difficulty with somebody, try to figure out what their communication style is. And instead of expecting them to do things your way, which especially for for the ones who are a little more driven, that really feels like, no, that's the right way. But instead of expecting that, uh, do things their way, communicate to them in their style. And that is usually how communication becomes effective is when we flex to somebody else's style. Mm. Um, Another problem that I hear a lot is that we expect other people to need what we want to give. So, uh, yes, 
<laughs> one of the clients that comes to mind for me is uh, a, a man who was a working as a supervisor, and he had hated his own boss's coaching style. So that that was somebody who had always asked questions whenever this this client brought up a problem. And so my client decided, okay, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to ask people questions when they come to me with a problem. I'm going to teach them <laughs> because that's what I needed. And he was a beautiful, wonderful, generous teacher. He taught constantly. He taught people whether they needed to be taught or not. It was yeah. his favorite style. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't necessarily always meet the, the particular needs of the person that he was working with. So sometimes people need different levels of coaching or different levels of support, uh, maybe different levels of teaching and guidance. Some people don't want any of it. They just want to be left alone to do their job. And if you're in their face with all of the support and all of the guidance, uh, all you're going to do is annoy them. You're not going to help them. Mm-hmm. And especially when people really dig in their heels. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell me more about that. Well, you know, I've got some people um, and, and another lady that I work with, we've both kind of got this mindset that if, if we just educate you and if you just see, then, you know, <laughs> then, just then you'll come it. around. Yeah. If I just <laughs> explain it, like in, in my head and, you know, conversations she and I have had, I know we kind of think similarly, but in my head, I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm just not explaining it right. If I can just... Right explain it in a different way or give you a different example or yet one more example, then the light bulb's going to hit for you. And it was actually funny because I was having a conversation. It was a, a, I don't want to say a difficult conversation, but it wasn't a super fun conversation with a member of on my team. And, you know, we were having a difference of opinion. And I remember one day he just looked at, or this one specific conversation, he just looked at me and he said, Tanya, I'm never going to have an aha moment on this. Mm. And I was like, oh my gosh. And you had an aha moment. I did. I'm like, well, I just had one, so why can't you? But it was really, I mean, you know, in that moment, it was incredibly deflating because mm-hmm. I just, I, I wanted so desperately for him to just see that piece. And, and I could see where he was coming from, but I was like, yeah, but here's all the rest of it. And, you know, it was just, it was very enlightening and very aha for me to be able to say, you know, he does know what I'm, what I have to share and what I have to offer. He already has the information, but that isn't changing his choice. And, and I have to be okay with that. That's okay. Mm-hmm. In that mm-hmm. particular situation, it was okay. Um, yeah. Not all situations would that be the case, but in that one, it was okay for me to step back and say, Okay. And then, you know, I've had to, I've kind of returned to that on occasion to say, you can't teach everybody. Not everyone wants to learn. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And not everybody wants to do things your way. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and that's struggle. That's hard as a leader. That's a hard position to be in because sometimes it does matter. And then you're like, yeah, I got nothing. I don't know what else to do. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so what I think you're alluding to there is the the kind of situation where you have expectations that need to be met. Right. And 
in that case, it's really not optional or there's not necessarily that room for creativity, but you've, you've told them what you want and then they go and do something different. Mm -hmm. And what are you supposed to do with that? Yeah. And it's so tempting kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier. It's so tempting then to assume that, well, they must be stupid or evil or they're not motivated. That's the one I hear a lot is Mm -hmm. that they, they don't have the will to do it properly. Mm -hmm. And I I've heard this one so much. I, I can't even narrow it down by which client, but when I ask them, how have you clarified your expectations? A lot of times what I get back is that, well, I've explained it to them, Mm. but it isn't necessarily meeting that person, meeting the, um, the direct report where they need to be. And so one of the things that I've learned is that the, the leader or the supervisor needs to spend some time really paying attention to what that person is actually doing, what their employee is actually doing. So um, whether that's time spent watching how they work and what they're doing or listening to how they're speaking but we have a tendency to assume that we know what people are doing and thinking. Uh, I used to coach a manager of a rental car branch and he would give his employees instructions at the beginning of the day and then check in hours later to find out that they were doing something that he considered unfathomable instead of being with them or, or going out more often to check in and find out what exactly are they doing which would have given him opportunities to then intervene, offer a different, uh, a different way of looking at it or a different idea. Uh, Because I, I, some of us have a tendency to delegate and then check out, like there's nothing more that we can do. It's all up to them. So must be coffee time for us or more likely now I have a chance to get some of that work done that I've been putting Mm -hmm. off. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm totally guilty of this myself. Um, But what we need to do is stay tuned in, find out what's actually happening, offer a lot more feedback in the moment, and actually partner with people instead of instructing and explaining and then vanishing. Mm -hmm. It's the point and click kind of thing. Like sometimes, and and I do that too, where I want to just say, I'm pointing and clicking and it needs to be done. And I'm just assuming that it's going to work. And then when it doesn't, it's frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. And eventually as you climb through the leadership ranks, you will get to have people on your team who you can just tell them, here's the issue, go handle it. And they will say, I'm on it and they will handle it. Mm -hmm. But especially when you are working near the front lines of an organization, you're going to have a lot of people that are not on the same page with you. They don't understand. And so they really need to have your, they, they need to get clarity from you about what your expectations are. Even when it feels to you like I have been clear, (laughs) I have said exactly what it is. So what more can I say? You're right. And you know, I think that's one of uh the challenges that I see um, is when we, we think we've been clear, 
people are kind of, yeah, 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 I got it. But then they're not clear. And sometimes they're afraid or intimidated to come back to you, or they don't want to admit that I thought I had it, but then I went in to put it into practice and I don't have it. And how do you work with people who maybe aren't confident enough to come forward and say, wait, I'm sorry, I thought I had it and I don't? Like if, if yeah. the communication, because because there is some responsibility of the people that you're working with to come forward and say, I don't get it. But how do you work with people that that don't have that confidence and ability to come forward? Yeah, so uh, there's a couple of different things that are coming to mind as I'm hearing you describe that. Because yeah, on the one hand, there's there's absolutely their own accountability, and and yet if you are in a leadership position, you hold more of the power. You are in a position where you will need to own more of that relationship than they do just because you have more power. Um, yes. I love that. And, I love the way so, you said that. <laughs> yeah. and, and so one thing that you can do is really do everything that you can to make it safe for them. So offering people tons of positive, specific, positive feedback. So when I say specific, I mean, do more than just, Hey, great job today, Joe. Great to see you. Have a good night. Um, it, it needs to be targeted to what are they actually doing? What is it that they've done that works well so that they get that specific feedback so that they know when they're actually hitting the mark. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a part of creating safety, letting them know that, you know what, I see you, I see what you are doing that is working. And probably and then, quick to give that feedback too. Say that again. Um, being quick to give that feedback, because I know yeah. if it's, you know, yes, right in that moment, great job versus, oh, remember two weeks ago when you did that cool thing, do that again. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I think in that moment would be another key thing there. Yeah, exactly. As soon as possible, at least as soon as you discover that something's happened. And it may be that you would have to send an instant message in order to be able to say, wow, I loved that that's great. Or um, if, if you can do it verbally, that's even better so that they can hear the warmth in your voice and, and to hear your kindness, uh, just to do it as soon as you can. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, that's, that's a big part of it. And then the other part is to be observing, to be putting yourself in a place where you can catch them in action. So that if they are heading down the right road, you can give them encouragement that, yes, you're doing the right thing. You're heading down the right road. And if they're heading down the wrong road, then you can catch them early in that process and redirect them so that they're not wasting a bunch of time or putting a lot of creativity into something that you're not going to like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just being it's being there. It's being present. Like you said, it's, you know, not checking out, even though it can be really tempting sometimes to go get that stack of papers, you know, taken yeah. care of. But, but yeah, exactly. just a lot more awareness there. 
But, you know, one of the things that I'm appreciating about even this conversation that we're having is that we're recognizing that there's no one simple answer for any of this stuff. You can, you can find yourself going off the rails in one direction or the other. So it's, it's just important to kind of know what your own tendencies are and sometimes actually lean in the other direction from what feels natural and normal to you. Go do something different and find out what kind of different results you can get from that. Yes, exactly. So when we were talking about, you know, observing, encouraging, redirecting, you know, kind of handling things um, that way, what do you do if maybe people are telling you that you are being a micromanager or you're kind of hearing that type of thing? What, what would what would someone do who is maybe micromanaging? So whenever I get, um, or whenever one of my clients gets some vague feedback, kind of like that, I would always encourage them to ask for examples, ask for more information and make sure that when you ask for that additional information, you're doing it with a really open, uh, an open heart, an open mind, uh, not to defend yourself. So that that's the easy thing to do, which is, uh, oh yeah, tell me when when did I do that, and I, I will fight you for it. But um, but just to say, oh my gosh, I did not realize that I was coming across as a micromanager. Can you tell me more? Because I'm not familiar with that side of myself, and I need more information. Um, so if you can get more information, ask a few different people, um, when you get feedback from one person, it it can be kind of shocking to hear it from one person, but it may only be that one person's experience there, that one person's frame of reference. It may not be you, it might be their perspective. Mm-hmm. So then I would go to some other folks who are able to see, so not necessarily your best friends, but go go to other people who can see whether or not you've been doing that and just ask them in a really open way, tell me what's it like when I am managing you? What kind of a manager am I? What feedback can you give me? What am I doing that's working? What am I doing that's not working so well? And just try to be as open-minded as you can as you ask those questions and have a pen in hand and write down everything they say. You do not have to do what they suggest. You do not have to believe everything that they tell you. But I really strongly encourage anybody who's engaging in that kind of exercise to just write it down. And then when they're done, say thank you. Thank you for sharing your perspective with me because it is risky to share even positive feedback. If you're not used to giving feedback, that feels like a risk. So if somebody shares some feedback with you, just say thank you and write down what they tell you and then go do some self-care. Yeah. <laughs> go take a bath. <laughs> um, because it can be rough to just receive that feedback but then go back to it and look at it and ask yourself, okay, what is here that has the ring of truth? Mm -hmm. And if only one person tells you, 
you're a micromanager, then maybe that's true, but maybe it isn't. If a couple of people say you're a micromanager, then that give that a little bit more weight. If three different people tell you that you're a micromanager, then I would seriously consider that to maybe be the case. And then just go seek out some coaching, seek out some new ways of managing to practice. Mm-hmm. I love that because a lot of I feel like a lot of times, you know, some people have a little bit more of a natural leadership ability than others, but it can definitely be developed and it's simply learning new strategies and tools. And sometimes people just say, well, I'm not a natural leader, so I can't do that. And it's like, you know, probably not a lot of people actually are. Um, And so a lot of need for leadership in this world. And Yeah, not everybody is a born leader, but there are skills that you can learn. There are skills you can develop. And we do have a lot of need for leadership. And I really want to point out to the listeners that leadership doesn't necessarily have to be a leadership role or a management role. Mm -hmm. It can Mm -hmm. be at the very base entry level in an organization or it's leadership in your home or in a friend group. I mean, it's you know, we're talking about it in the work world, but it's everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. A little while ago, I was doing some career coaching with a woman who wanted to step into her first management role, but she was so nervous about it. So scared. She felt like she was not qualified because she had never done any management before. And you know, we just kept talking and I kept asking her about her life and what else was going on. And it turned out she had uh, a son who was, uh, he's a 16 year old and uh, autistic. And uh, so I was asking her questions like, oh, wow, does, does your son always do everything that you want him to do? And she laughed and she said, oh, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> and so we, we talked about, okay, so what are, what are some of the things that you ask him to do that he doesn't want to do? And then I asked her, okay, so how do you, have you ever gotten him to do something that he didn't originally want to do? Then asked her, okay, so um, it sounds to me like you have spent the last 16 years um, developing your leadership skills. Because you have a direct report, somebody that you need his help, not necessarily in managing the house, but you need his help in keeping him alive. You need his help in uh, creating his life. And you have been training him. You have been um, motivating him. You have been setting expectations for him. You have been working alongside with him. You've been giving him feedback. You've got tons of leadership experience. Yeah. And I I think a lot of us need exactly what you just did to help point out you've already got this in the bag in a way. You know, we minimize our personal experiences and our parenting experiences because that's just what we do. But, you know, you just, you just lined that out. And there's so many people who have a lot of experience just like that. 
Yeah. Everything that I was talking about today in terms of leadership in an organization or managing your employees, you can apply those same things to your kids. Your kids have their favorite communication style. Your Mm -hmm. kids have their own needs for guidance or support, and those are going to fluctuate and change and not always going to be your favorite way. Um, Mm -hmm. You can't assume that you know what your kids are doing or that they're Mm going to do exactly what you tell them to do. Uh, So everything that applies to leadership, I think also applies to parenting. Yes, absolutely. And one of the things that, you know, I wrote down a little note throughout all of our conversation today, I wrote down the word vulnerability. And I really think, you know, whether it's receiving feedback that might be difficult, like what we just talked about, or the vulnerability that we talked about with um, Sadie, with the boss, or, mm-hmm. you know, even even the positive uh, encouragement that we give to people can be hard. Like there are so many things involved with leadership that that tie back to vulnerability. And I think in order to be a good leader, that might be an area of at least to give some attention to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's certainly why Brene Brown is doing a lot with leadership these days. Mm -hmm. Uh, Leadership is totally about vulnerability. Uh, I, I know that one leader that I've worked with talks about, Um, it's just like, you've got a target on your back all of Mm -hmm. the time. And that's why our leaders are really so precious to us. Um, we don't usually think in those terms, but, um, I, I will frequently just feel so sad when I find out that a leader is stepping down because the work just got too hard. Um, and it can happen in every arena of leadership. It doesn't have to be politics. It can be uh, church leadership. It can be family leadership. It can be organizational leadership, anything. Um, and it is difficult. And even the thing that you said about there's vulnerability in offering positive feedback, I've totally found that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it can be risky to tell somebody that you think that they did a good job because we have a tendency to assume they know that they're good. If I tell yeah. them, hey, you, you really knocked the ball out of the park with leading that meeting, they're just going to look at me, they're going to look down their nose and they're going to say, well, of course I did. I'm, I'm a professional. I'm, I'm good at this. I do this all the time. But what I have found is that when I tell people, you know, you did that really well, even if I feel like there's a a risk that they could look down their nose at me, most of the time what they'll do instead is they'll say, oh, thank you so much. I've been worried. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I I wasn't sure how this was going to go or how that was going to work. So most of the time, folks are just so grateful to receive some positive feedback. Yeah, I think so. And I think even like in it feels as if in a leadership role or a management role um you don't get that like i give it more than i receive it um especially like from supervisors and stuff um but when i do get it 
there's no looking down. I am so grateful that because, you know, like when we started this conversation, we were talking about how there's that imposter syndrome and we feel like we're winging it. And, you know, I've been in my role for 14 years and I still feel like I'm winging it all the time and I don't have all the answers. And so when I have even one person just say, thank you for doing that, or I liked the way you did this, it's like, oh, I can't tell you how grateful I am to hear that. So to give that to other people in a way that could be a gift. Yeah, exactly. I love that. We have to to learn to... um, to give that positive feedback. And it it is heartbreaking to me to hear uh, even what you just said about how, you know, I give it more than I receive it. We're all so hungry for Mm -hmm. that recognition, that just positive feedback, just see how hard I'm working, just see the little bit of good that I'm doing, even if I'm not getting the whole way, please see how much I've tried. And uh, it means so much to folks when we can recognize that. It does. And you know, one thing that came up to me, um, one of my practices is at the end of the day, I do like a daily reflection where I'm thinking, thinking back on my day and what went well, and just what was coming up. And I want to share this for the listeners, just in case there's anyone out there who does this too. But I have a tendency to When I look at what went well, I'm looking at tasks. What did I get done? Did I check things off my list? Did I, Mm -hmm. you know, even if it was, was I a good mom today? Did I get dinner? Like, yeah, I nailed it. I did a good job today. But it's pretty rare that I actually look back and, you know, give myself that positive reinforcement for what I did that may have been a leadership thing. You know, I... Mm -hmm took some extra time with someone I work with. I gave them my full attention and had a really heartfelt, good conversation. And, you know, I I don't reflect on those. I don't consider that. I mean, it's part of what I do, but I don't necessarily even look at that as a win. And yet, you know, rationally, I know that is. So Mm -hmm. that would be just for myself and anyone listening. That's a really cool little aha moment to be able to add that to a daily reflection. Like, you know, what did I do well? What did I do right in leadership today? Yeah. How was I present for somebody else? Mm-hmm. How did I shine a light in somebody else's life? Mm-hmm. How did I overcome that vulnerable moment and take that risk or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever may have come up that day? Okay, Amy. So I know that you have a new program called True Impact Leadership. What is that and why are you so excited about it? Yeah, so True Impact Leadership is a program that I've been working on uh, for a dozen years. And just now giving myself that space and that permission to uh, get it started and do it imperfectly. And oh, that's so scary. But (laughs) I want to get started, you know, I want to, I want to do it. So what this is, is a 12 month leadership development program in which a very small group of people, just like four or five people will build relationships with each other, come to trust each other, 
and actually learn learn how to be leaders by leading each other. And so as things come up in the group, then we will work on it in the group. So for instance, one of the first things that we're going to work on is developing some communication skills that come under the umbrella of nonviolent communication. That is one of the, the skill sets that I teach. And then for the rest of the 12 month period, as things come up, especially, you know, as communication snafus happen, which they always happen, uh, somebody says something that comes across maybe in a weird way to the other person and uh, maybe feelings get pinched and it might not be that what was originally said was meant in the way that was taken, but stuff happens. And so then you have to talk about it and we, we will work through that in the group and we will use these skills of nonviolent communication or uh, or whatever other skills, conflict management that we might use uh, as we go along. And folks will have an opportunity to bring in transcribed conversations that they've been a part of so that we can look at it together, find out what's actually happening in this conversation, where were you maybe saying one thing but thinking something different, or where did that other person say something and you had to interpret what they were saying in the moment. Um, what can we learn from this conversation now that it's over? Uh, so we, we, we're going to have a, a variety of tools that I feel like even now I'm just so excited about it that I'm just sort of stumbling over myself as I'm talking <laughs> about what we're going to be doing. But um, ah, yeah, I don't, I, I'm actually not even sure right now what to say because we're just getting started. We're going to start on the 1st of February. This is the first group and it's in a lot of ways going to be an experiment, but that's also one of the things that I teach, which is that if you can regard things as an experiment, that you're going to try something and you're going to learn from it, then it's a lot less fraught it the you it's a way of bringing the stakes down to a level where it's manageable and um and you can have some more grace for yourself that you're in a learning process so that's what we're going to be engaged in it's it's going to be a learning process for me as a coach it's going to be a learning process for them as members of the group and as leaders who are bringing their real life, their real life situations, and practicing how to lead even in the group. One of our central metaphors is the metaphor of mirrors. So if you can imagine when you go driving down the highway, if you had to do that without mirrors, you would be in some danger because you need to be able to see what's happening around you. It's mm -hmm. the mirrors on your vehicle and sometimes even the mirrors that are provided uh, like in a blind corner as you might be pulling out of a, a, a garage or whatever. Uh, those mirrors help you to see where your opportunities are, where the dangers are, 
and they help you to make wise decisions. So this tight knit group is going to be the mirrors for each other. Each individual is going to have those three or four other people who are there to reflect back to them what they can see so that each one of them gets to find out more about what are my opportunities? Where, where could I be going to take advantage of those opportunities? And where might I be in danger? Where should I be more cautious? So yeah, it's a grand experiment, but it's one that I've been um, working on for quite a while and I'm excited to begin. I love that. That sounds amazing. So with the people who are participating, are they from the same organization or are they from all over? They're from a few different organizations. Uh, Three of them are here in Columbus, Ohio, which is where I am. One of them is actually in a state, several states removed. So uh, especially during this uh, pandemic environment, we're going to be doing everything online. Uh, I suspect that in future uh, iterations of the program, there will be at least a in-person component. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, they, they are in different organizations. Two of them happen to know each other, but they did not know. Neither one of them knew that the other one was going to be joining the program before they started. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just open invitation. And that's, that's how I work with people. I have not to this, to, to date, I've not really done a lot of work inside organizations. I love working with individuals, with folks who maybe are not being seen as high potential or as um, being the, the tier of leader that the organization wants to make sure that they're developing them. Um, but I can see the high potential in my clients and I, I help them to develop in the ways that they know that they're ready for, or that they hope that they're ready for, and they want to develop. You know, that sounds extremely rewarding because I can think of so many people that I wish they saw themselves the way I saw them. And to be able to be, I'm not in a, I'm not in a a coaching role with them. So that would be a little bit more difficult for me. I feel Mm -hmm. to be able to, I mean, I do as much as I can to build them up, but from a coaching perspective, that would be incredible. Yeah, it is. I love doing it. Um, One of, one of the folks that I've been working with the longest came to me a few years ago. And at that time, she was not enjoying her job and her performance was slipping. Um, She was afraid of getting fired. And one of the one of the real problems in that situation was that she didn't know really what she had to offer other than her obedience. She was willing to do what she was asked but she didn't know that she had more than that to offer. So what what I did with her was we we went through and we identified what her strengths are, both like in terms of her capacities and in terms of her talents, just kind of what was natural for her. And she 
actually started using that information. So as possible stretch assignments came by or as new uh, work groups were formed in her company, she took seriously the results that she got from those tests that she had taken and actually volunteered to do some things that were not necessarily assigned to her. Fast forward six months, she was actually, she received an award for her contributions and that award included cash and it was more than enough to cover her coaching. And now two years later, she's in a leadership role. She's taking on company-wide initiatives and Everything that I'm hearing from her is that the company is seeing more and more all of this value from her that she was keeping completely hidden before. Wow. Not not even knowing if she could have anything to offer. Yeah. So when I say that I see I see their potential, it's because I see potential in anybody who's willing to come and say I believe that there could be something better for me, but I yeah. don't know what that is. Oh, I love that. That gave me gave, yeah. gave me chills. <laughs> Super exciting. I it love is. It. Yeah. it is. Well, before we totally wrap up, I wanted to make sure um, my listeners know how to find you. So mm-hmm. where is a good place for them to go if they want more information on what you have to offer or to look at some of your leadership options? Yeah, absolutely. So my website is careerleadershipalignment.com. It's all kind of smushed together. There's no dots or dashes, uh, just careerleadershipalignment.com. And there's a, a couple of ways that folks can connect with me. One way is just right on that kind of homepage, there's a link just to sign up to get some free, um, I, I'm trying to figure out, I, I think it just says sign me up. So it's to sign up for the newsletter. But if you go in that way, then you get a free download of a guided reflection for healing after an inner critic attack. So if you have a really active inner critic that just uh, really beats up on you, This guided reflection is something that you can listen to. It's like 20 minutes. And um, I actually will listen to it sometimes when I'm going to sleep because it it helps me to put things in order and regain some perspective. I love that. So that's one option. Yeah. And that's a great way for them to start. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. It really is. And then the other option is, uh, again, if you're on that homepage, look at the menu and then the last or probably last item on the menu is the performance skills series. So this is a series of seminars that I'm doing. They're totally free and you can sign up for that, uh, come and participate for an hour. And they've been on a variety of different subjects. So things like uh, building your courage habits at work or developing your ability to adapt to different situations, um, managing ambiguity. 
Uh, this next one in February, we're going to be looking at self-development. How do you keep developing yourself so that you don't find yourself in a dead end at work? And oh, those awesome. have been really popular. Yeah, that sounds great. What a great resource. I would love to have anybody to join us. And um, yeah, uh, they're, they're great opportunities and definitely just, it's a gift that I'm giving to the world. Oh, awesome. Yes, it is. I love that. And I love that you see it as a gift. Mm-hmm. That's important mm-hmm. to me because a lot of times we, it's hard to put stuff out there. It's really hard to put yourself out there. And <laughs> sometimes it's hard to see it as a gift to the world. So I'm, I was really happy to hear you say that. I'm definitely going to go check that out because that sounds like it's right up my alley. So oh, awesome. Good. Would love to have you. And, and yes. any of your listeners. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And I will make sure I have the links um, to all the ways in which they can catch up with you in the show notes. So they'll be there and they can just click on the link just to make Beautiful. it a little bit easier. Awesome. All yeah. right. Before we end, is there anything else that you want the listeners to hear or know? Yeah. Just uh, give yourself credit, not just blame. That would be the mantra I would suggest. That's a mantra I need to adopt for my whole life. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. All right, Amy, thank you so very much for being on the show. I have truly enjoyed our conversation and I know that the listeners will too. Well, thank you so much for having me. I've uh, really just had so much fun. I really enjoyed talking with you, Tanya. Thank you. Thank you so much. You guys, I loved that conversation. There was so much good stuff in there. And it was so much fun to be able to go back to do the editing that I do because I got to listen to it again and take some notes and really think about how I was going to apply that into my own life. So I really would encourage you to listen to this again with a notebook and just jot down some things and pick one one thing that you want to do differently that you want to start and implement today. And I just loved how much value she added to our community. What a great resource. Amy, again, thank you so much for being here and for being a guest on my show. What a gift you are to the world. And I'm so grateful for you and for what you have to offer. So for my listeners, I mentioned that I would have all of the links and the ways that you can follow Amy and get further information from her in my show notes. So head on over to my website at theheartofconfidence.com forward slash leadership with Amy K. Watson. It's all one word. It'll be super easy for you to get there. So just remember theheartofconfidence.com leadership with Amy, that's A-M-Y-K-K-A-Y, Watson, W-A-T-S-O-N. All right. And on that note, I hope you have a fabulous week and I'll be back in your downloads next week.